Sorta Kinda Superpowered by James Kennison. Chapter 4. The weekend was great. Joseph was able to wear the pin the entire day, Saturday. And after a bit of begging, his mother allowed him to wear it to church on Sunday. And after that, Mom seemed satisfied that he could be responsible with the powers the pin gave and change the rules. You can wear it wherever you want, she said. Just keep it out of sight and don't do anything stupid and take it off before you go to bed. I don't want you tossing and turning with powers tearing your bedroom up. Now Joseph wore the pin everywhere, even at school. Although he couldn't let his powers show, it still felt amazing just having it on. On Monday, he wore a polo shirt and pinned it just under the collar. He didn't know if he was imagining it or not, but when he wore the pin, he felt a bit stronger and more solid. Inside, he felt more at ease. His thoughts were clearer. After homeroom, Joseph waited, as he always did, for the room to empty so he could be the last to leave. He didn't like the way it felt to be pushed out into the hall by a class full of anxious sixth graders, like he wasn't really there. He hated walking the halls between classes. It was when the bullies and pranksters did their dirty work. Joseph seemed to be their favorite target. Even the older girls would join in at times, spitting out nasty comments about his height, his hair, or anything else they could insult. Joseph took a breath, put his head down, and stepped into the hallway, walking fast toward his first class. After a few steps, a large eighth grader with mustache hairs came up and flipped his hands under Joseph's books. Usually, this sent everything he was holding, papers, books, and all, flapping out everywhere. It drew a lot of attention and was horribly embarrassing. This time, nothing in his hand moved. Joseph almost dropped it all just because that's what he expected to happen. He looked up into the eighth grader's pimpled face. A couple of his friends were laughing. The boy was embarrassed. He called Joseph a combination of swear words he had never heard before and then pushed him hard in the chest. Joseph didn't move. He hardly even felt it. The mustache-haired boy's friend stopped laughing and just stared dumbly at this tiny sixth grader that their friend couldn't seem to pick on properly. Mustache boy couldn't let this unnaturally strong little kid get the best of him, so he hocked up a loogie and he spit it directly into Joseph's face. Joseph closed his eyes as it splattered. The growing group of bystanders burst into cruel laughter and fake gagging. Joseph could smell the boy's horrible breath from the spit as it ran down past his nose. He wasn't angry. His mind simply wished to teach the mustache hair boy a lesson. The eighth grader was looking very pleased with himself. Joseph quickly sat down his book, stood up, reached out, grabbing the much larger boy by the arms and pulled him in close. Joseph pushed his own face into the eighth grader's shirt and shook his head back and forth, wiping the spit deep into the fabric of his shirt. Mustache hair boy was so caught off by the counteraction, he could only stare down in disgust at what was happening. The surrounding group was still laughing, but not at Joseph this time. Mustache boy tried to pull his arms free, but Joseph's hands were strong, and he wasn't letting go until his face was dry. Oh my gosh, dude, wailed Mustache Boy. That's so gross. Let me go, you little freak. Joseph shoved him back where he had been. His shirt was smeared with phlegm and wet spots. Yes, it is gross. And now we both know it, Joseph said. The Mustache Boy didn't look so confident anymore. He spewed out a string of obscenities and slunk back into the crowd. A few kids followed, laughing. Kids were clapping Joseph on the back, congratulating him on the comeback. Joseph ignored them. He lowered his head, made it into class on time, and then asked to go to the restroom to wash his face. 
It was a very satisfying feeling to have avoided the book flip trick. It was also nice seeing the look on the boy's face when the push didn't work. More than anything, Joseph felt a strong sense that justice had been done and that good had triumphed over bad. Maybe this is how heroes think, he wondered. The boy would surely think twice before spitting on other people, and that was the most satisfying feeling of all. Joseph and Clovis had recess just before lunch every day. It was easily their most hated class, but at least they had it together. P.E. was split boys and girls. Most of the period was free time. Some boys would work out in the weight room. Others played basketball or touch football. Joseph and Clovis played foursquare on a little patch of asphalt near the fence every day. He, Clovis, and a few other sports rejects were enjoying themselves, spiking the ball, cheating, making up rules as they went along. A group of boys wandered over. This was why Joseph and Clovis hated recess. Not everyone found productive things to do during free time. My dad took those pants you're wearing to the thrift store, a tall red-haired boy bawled at Joseph. Leave us alone, Clovis said without looking over. You're wearing my old pants, the boy called again. Several of the boy's friends pointed and laughed. Usually this would have really bothered Joseph, but the teasing didn't hurt his feelings in the least. He heard the hurtful words just like always, except now they registered as information to be processed rather than insults to be defended against. He turned toward the red-headed boy in his group. You know what, Joseph began, most of my clothes are from thrift stores, so I guess they did belong to other kids once. I guess that means I'm poorer than you and most of the kids at this school. Short kids got lipped, the redhead shouted. He seemed thrilled that Joseph was putting himself down. Joseph's mind was blazing, giving him the words to say, I guess these could be yours, but I doubt it, Joseph continued. He noted the holes in the boy's jeans, the dirt on the soles of his new shoes, a large scraped area on one knee, scrapes on his palms, and dirt under his nails. If they were yours, wouldn't they have holes in the knees from all the dirt you've been playing in? Everyone looked at the red-haired boy's new dark blue pants. Both knees were worn out. A couple of boys on the four-square court managed a laugh. Joseph wasn't trying to be funny or mean. He was simply stating facts as he saw them. He continued, I realize that you're only picking on me to make yourself feel better. That makes me feel sorry for you. Sorry for me? You should feel sorry for you. The boy cringed a bit at his failed comeback. He tried to recover by looking around at everyone as if Joseph was crazy. You must be in a pretty sad place to have nice clothes, shoes, the expensive backpack I saw earlier, plus the new phone in your pocket, yet you're still not as happy as the poor kid in the pre-owned clothes playing Foursquare with his dorky friends. Hey, Clovis and the other boys said together. Sorry, it's true. We're in middle school. We're all dorky. The red-haired boy was totally deflated. He started to say something a few times, but didn't. He tried to blow it off and walk away, but he couldn't. He just stood there, looking dejected. Something Joseph said had hit home. I can't help but feel sorry for you. I wonder what's going on in your life that's so bad that you have to mess with me just to make you feel good, said Joseph. Everyone stood still. The red-haired boy was staring into Joseph's eyes. Joseph knew not everyone in the group understood what he had said, but the red-haired boy had. Several times it seemed he was going to start speaking, as if there was something he really needed to say. I've got, he started, but the bell rang. Joseph stood still, waiting for everyone to push one another through the gate. The red-haired boy lowered his head and walked slowly behind the rest. His friends shuffled along with him, not knowing what to say. His mother died, Joseph said. His dad's been buying him a bunch of new stuff, trying to make him feel better. It's not helping. Plus, someone's hitting him at home, probably his dad. 
How could you possibly know that? Clovis asked. His eyes told me, Joseph said plainly. Is this how grown-ups think about things? He asked his mom that evening. I wish, his mother answered. Most adults seem to fall for insults the same way kids do. I think your pen is not only giving you powers on the outside, but on the inside as well. You've always been a good kid, sensitive and thoughtful. It seems the pen is enhancing your inner abilities as well. At school the next day, Joseph was walking to his next class. As he passed the art room, a feeling of unease came over him. He stopped and looked around, expecting something painful or at the very least embarrassing, but nothing happened. No bullies were nearby. No one seemed interested in him at all. Yet it felt as if a sickening electricity was in the air. It felt like danger. His eyes darted all around the hall, bouncing from face to face, taking in expressions, moods, and focus. Everyone seemed to be stealing glances at two eighth-grade boys. One was getting his books from his locker. The other was leaning on the opposite wall with his girlfriend. Joseph's ears picked up wisps of anger, bits of gossip, the way this one would look at that one. The early bell rang, and the boy with the girlfriend went on his way. Joseph knew there would be a fight between those two students, but he also knew it would be after fourth period, outside the art room, precisely where he was standing. Should I try to stop it, he thought. There were only two ways he could do it, and he wasn't going to tell a teacher, so the only other option was to try and stop it himself. The scene played out in his mind. It would begin with pushing in threats. Everyone in the area would rush and pack in around the pair trying to see. Getting caught up in a gang of crazed fight fans was not something he would enjoy, and with his new extra strength abilities, it could be downright dangerous for him to be involved. Could I step in and stop things without using my powers, he thought. Was this an issue for him to even get involved in? His mind flashed. Maybe there were more than two options. Most conflicts start because of misunderstandings and misunderstandings are often based on bad communication. What was going on between the two boys that a bit of the right kind of information might fix? He ran through the maze of students and up to the girlfriend who was still at her locker. Excuse me, he said. What? She snarled at him. She was at least half a foot taller than him and obviously offended at his very presence. I heard there was going to be a fight, Joseph blurted. So? What's it about? He asked. Not that it's any of your business, but they're fighting over me, she said through a slick, braced smile. Joseph glanced across the inside door of her locker. There was a photo of a boy, a boy who was neither of the two he had previously seen. Who's that? Joseph asked. She didn't even need to turn around. That's also none of your business, her smile widened. She quickly slammed the door closed. So you've got two boys fighting over you, and you're not being honest with either one of them, are you? She looked shocked. You don't know what you're talking about, she shouted. Get out of my space. So are you going to tell them or am I? Joseph was determined. He felt a sense of surety flush through him. Tell who what, little boy, she screamed. I'll tell boy one and boy two that there's a boy three and that you don't give a crap about any of them. I'm sure they'd be less interested in fighting each other and a little more interested in letting you know how they feel about getting played. How did you? She blubbered. You can't just. Joseph just walked away. His job was most likely done. He usually walked past the art room after fourth period, but today he slowed his pace so that he would get there at just the right time. The expected crowd had gathered. There was the expected roar of 50-plus students smashed together, eager to see someone getting their lights punched out. But inside the inner circle, instead of two heads, there were three, and one was female. Joseph could snatch bits of the argument erupting from the volcano of students. Who is he? yelled one boy. 
Yeah, Melinda, what the heck, yelled the other. Melinda's voice was so high-pitched and full of tears that no one but herself knew what explanations and excuses she was offering. Joseph smiled to himself as he worked his way around the crowd toward his next class. There would be no fistfight today. In science, he saw a brown-headed seventh grader handing a curly-haired girl a note. She went to her desk and began scribbling out copies. He instantly gathered that she and three other students were planning to cheat on the day's test. Joseph's brain pieced together snippets of information, the note being handed over, the seventh grader's smile, the cheat sheets she was copying for her friends were full of false answers, a wicked seventh grade joke. The bell hadn't rung yet. There was still time to help, maybe. Hey, Joseph said to the curly-haired girl, those answers you have, they're wrong. What answers, she hissed. The one you're copying down, he answered. Trust me, they're wrong. She was going to argue, but stopped. There was doubt in her eyes. She rushed around the room to tell her friends. Two of them listened, one didn't, and he got an F as his reward. Walking home, he shared his thoughts with Clovis. My mind is constantly gathering information from everything I see and hear. I wonder if this is how the enhanced find their way to the places and people who need their help. Probably, said Clovis. Let's see if we can work out some way to test these inner abilities tonight. It was normal for Clovis to come over every day after school. It was also normal for him to come over for dinner on Friday nights. This Friday, however, Clovis's parents were off from work early, so they took the family out to a restaurant. This left Joseph eating dinner with his mother, staring at Dad's empty chair. Dad had left last year, a week into fifth grade. He came home, packed some stuff, said goodbye, and walked out the door, just like that. Later, Mom told Joseph that Dad was living with a lady from work, and he wouldn't be back. Things started to change around the house. Clothes from the thrift stores and garage sales instead of the mall. Food stamps and coupons instead of restaurants and takeout. Dad wasn't giving any financial help. The stress affected his mother, even physically. Life pulled at her features as if the Earth's gravity had doubled. She was still pretty and full of life, but the dark circles and lines under her eyes told a story she didn't like to talk about. A part of Joseph's heart was burned black against his father. It ached inside of him, but letting go wasn't an option. Joseph wanted him to pay. Mom, he asked, why don't you go to court and make Dad pay child support? Where did that come from, she asked. How do you even know about child support? Kid at school told me, he answered. He said it was money his dad sent to help his mom with bills and stuff. His mother stared down at her plate. Why doesn't he pay child support, he asked again. His mother sighed. I don't expect you to understand this, she started. I've decided that I'm not going to force him to do what he should want to do himself, she stated. She was right. Joseph didn't understand. But you can make him give us money, Joseph offered. You can make him take care of us. Won't that help you? Won't that make it so you don't have to work so hard? I know, son, and, and it would help, she said. I could make him do all that, but I can't make him love us, and that's what we really need. Joseph just sat there. His appetite was gone. He really didn't get what she was saying. He understood what she meant. It just didn't make sense to him. If you're done, clear your place, his mother said. He scraped his plate into the trash and rinsed it before placing it in the sink. They didn't even have a working dishwasher. His mother was picking out her food. Joseph felt bad for bringing up the child support question at all. He headed for the TV room. Grandpa was sitting there in the dark, staring at the television. Joseph clicked on a lamp in the corner, pulled a stool up near his grandfather's side, and sat down. 
Grandpa, why is Dad somewhere living a happy life with his new girlfriend in a new house with a new job while we struggle with the same old stuff? Joseph's chest tightened with bitter heartbreak. It was painful. It's like he's getting rewarded for giving up his family while we're being punished and we didn't even do anything wrong. He laid his head gently into his grandpa's lap, then took one of his feeble hands and placed it on his own head. It was what grandpa would have done if he could. I don't understand why mom won't go after him, Joseph said. She should make him pay. It's called a conviction, his mother said quietly from the doorway. It means I don't believe making him take care of us would be right. And I don't believe getting back at him would be right either. He sees us as useless baggage. Having him in our lives would be no good for us. We're better off without him, and we're better off on our own. Grandpa's fingers trembled through Joseph's hair. A tear fell from Joseph's cheek into his grandpa's pant leg. I still love him, Joseph sobbed, but I hate him too. He doesn't even care. I know, hun, she said. I miss him, and I despise him all at the same time. She moved in close, laying a hand on her father's head, another on her son's. But I still have the best parts of my family right here with me. She kissed them both and eased herself out of the room. Though the tightness in Joseph's chest was fading, it was being replaced with genuine sorrow. Mom was right about one thing. What I want for him is to care, he thought. Making him pay up won't make that happen. He felt for the pin clipped behind his collar. Apparently, some things were so screwed up, even the pen couldn't help make sense of it. While he stayed next to his grandfather, waiting for his tears to dry, Joseph realized one thing. He also had a conviction, something he believed in very strongly. If Dad ever wants to come see me, I'll say no. In the Gardner household, Mom maintained that Saturday was an outside day for all boys who lived in her house and shared her last name. Most of the time, playing outside became hiding in the shed and playing games on Clovis's laptop. Clovis's house had Wi-Fi, so they were able to surf through their favorite sites or even update Clovis's blog. They usually just took turns looking at their favorite video clips. Today, they were watching Dr. Superior videos. Each had their favorites. After this one, type in Superior Throws Dog, Joseph said. They watched a shaky video clip of Dr. Superior picking up a car, tearing it in half, and throwing the halves at some off-screen menace. A lady came running to Dr. Superior, screaming and hitting him on the back. She was screaming, that's my car! My husband was in that car! And Dr. Superior looks concerned. Maybe he had just thrown her husband along with the car. And then a man comes over and taps her on the back. She turns and throws her arms around him, crying, oh, Charles, you're alive! and he walks her to her car, which was parked a few spaces back. It ends with a lot of laughter from the guy shooting the video and Dr. Superior shaking his head. Pretty funny stuff. There it is. Click it, Joseph said to Clovis. The dog clip had shown up as a related video. A group of bank robbers leave a bank and file into a car. Dr. Superior touches down right in front of them, and the men inside start shooting at him, blowing out the car's windshield, and then a random dog appears and starts gnawing on Dr. Superior's leg. Superior looks down unfazed by the bullets or the dog, and the robbers stop shooting to reload. Superior reaches down, picks up the snarling, snapping dog, and throws him through the missing windshield right into the center of the car. The camera is then dropped, and the only video shows the sidewalk next to the car, but it was still obvious what's happening. Snarling, barking, biting sounds, and screaming. 
Car doors opening, feet running from the car, dog feet chasing after, then Dr. Superior's feet zooming past to round him up for the police. The video was called Dog Tour Superior, and it had over 30 million views. Clovis scrolled down to read the description. Joseph saw a link with the words, where is he? Click that link, he said, pointing to the words. A wild-looking website loaded. It had a large black banner across the top with tall white letters that read, where is Dr. Superior? Scrolling down, they saw the rest of the page was a wall of white text dotted with blue links. Joseph skimmed as Clovis scrolled. Crazy colors, random fonts, and an animated background, Clovis said. This guy is obviously nuts. I can see that, but listen, Joseph said. He's listed a bunch of events that Dr. Superior would usually have come to, but he's not showing up. Clovis clicked a link loading an article from the local newspaper, the New Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He read aloud, Dr. Superior has not responded to any emergencies, thefts, or crises for just over a week. His last sighting was Tuesday, September 10th at the corner of Spring Street and Andrew Young International. He rescued three people from atop Building 2 of the Sherman Complex, which had caught fire. That was outside the museum. That was when we saw him, Joseph said. We were like the last people to see him, Clovis said excitedly. Maybe he went straight from there to vacation or something. Vacation? What if something went wrong, Joseph said? What if he's in trouble? Come on, what could bring down an enhanced, Clovis said casually. Think about it. Joseph was thinking about it. His mind was ablaze with ideas, putting together the rumors, headlines, whispers in the hall at school, half-heard audio from his grandfather's news programs. None of the conclusions he came to were helpful in any way. Something's happened to Dr. Superior, and it happened just after we saw him, Joseph said. Something that has kept him from his duties. Like a vacation, Clovis mocked. Either that or you're the next enhanced and his time is over. The thought pierced Joseph's brain like a dart. What if that was it? Superior was gone. The pin was giving him powers. Maybe he was the next enhanced. He hadn't been trained or introduced, but Dr. Superior wasn't introduced by Captain Mighty. Maybe things were done differently now. Clovis typed in Dr. Superior Vacation into the search engine. The screen filled with articles and ads featuring Dr. Superior's smiling face promoting theme park passes, vacation homes, and other theme merchandise. The first search result read, Superior Industry CEO Dexter Visser explains a hero's disappearance. He clicked. A photo captioned, Visser Explains Disappearance, showed a sharp-looking young man with tight black hair and a black suit with a silver tie. He was smiling with large white teeth over a cluster of microphones held by eager news reporters. Joseph skimmed. It said Mr. Visser announced that there was no need for concern, that Dr. Superior was on hiatus, taking a bit of well-deserved time off, Mr. Visser had said. Joseph noted that the article did not explain why Superior was taking the time off or where he had gone to take it. I told you he was on vacation, Clovis teased. He's somewhere chilling on a beach, drinking something out of a coconut and getting a tan. Joseph wasn't thinking about Dr. Superior anymore. He was thinking about Dexter Visser. I'm going to ask Mom if we can go into town, he said, to Superior Industries and see if we can meet with that boss guy, Visser. We could ask him about the pen. That's a crazy awesome idea, Clovis exclaimed. Crazy because it'll probably never happen, and awesome because it might. He's the only person in the world I can think of who might be able to answer our questions. And if I am becoming an enhanced, it seems like I should probably report in or something. 
I'm like the world's biggest Dr. Superior fan, and I didn't even know that guy existed. It says he's the, Clovis read from the screen, CEO of Superior Industries and Dr. Superior's personal representative. I don't know what CEO means, Clovis finished. It means he's the boss, and representative means he knows Dr. Superior. I definitely need to get mom to call him. I doubt that's going to happen, but if it does, and you're talking to the CEO guy, and then Dr. Superior walks in, what would you do? Joseph didn't answer. He was lost in thought. Clovis decided to play a bit. I know what you'd do. You'd pee your pants. Joseph still wasn't hearing him. You'd pee for a long time. The whole time you were talking to him. Clovis was enjoying this. You'd probably pee on Dr. Superior. You would jump up and give him a huge hug and pee would just be everywhere. Joseph! Clovis yelled. Joseph snapped back. Clovis was laughing so hard tears had come to his eyes. You want me to pee on who? Joseph said, finally paying attention. Ah, uh, I was saying it would be awesome if you got to see Dr. Superior while you were there. That's all. Could you imagine? Clovis blurted. Joseph could imagine. He imagined that a discussion about his new enhancements with Mr. Visser could actually go extremely well. He would probably get some answers about the pen, the message it showed him, and his new but limited abilities. He imagined Mr. Visser might even reveal that he, Joseph, was actually the next enhanced. He would introduce him to a well-rested Dr. Superior. He would then be trained by the doctor himself and they would form the first enhanced team ever. It all seemed very possible to Joseph. He just needed to run the idea past his mom. Mom? Joseph asked the next morning at breakfast. Yeah, his mom groaned. She hadn't had her coffee. Clovis and I thought it might be a good idea if we could talk to someone in Dr. Superior's building about the pen and my powers. Yeah, Mrs. Gardner moaned out again, pouring water into the coffee maker. We thought that if you called, they might let us meet Dr. Superior's assistant. His name is Mr. V-something. What? She moaned, scooping coffee grounds into the filter. V-vis-vis-visser. Visser. Dexter Visser. He's like the boss, but under Dr. Superior. We found out about him online. If you call him, maybe we could get some answers about what's going on. Joseph's mom didn't speak for a long time. Joseph waited impatiently as the coffee maker gurgled, dribbled, and steamed. She took a mug out from under the cabinet, filled it with her hot coffee, and held it under her nose, taking a tiny sip. Joseph wondered if she had gotten anything he had just said. It makes sense to me, she finally said, her voice still gravelly. I'll call, and I'll see if you'll see us. She sat and took another sip. Just don't get your hopes up. Okay, he said, but it was too late for that. Joseph's hopes were through the roof. I'll call tomorrow on my break, she said. Joseph was a wreck all the next day at school. He couldn't wait to get home to find out what happened. What happened? He shouted the moment he heard his mother come through the door. Give me a minute to get in, she sniped at him and then smiled. That was a good sign. After she had taken off her coat and poured a glass of sweet tea, Joseph asked again, So what happened? I called the main number from the Superior Industries website. I figured I couldn't just say, hey, my son has powers like Dr. Superior. Can you put him on? So I said I had some questions about how enhanced powers work, and they transferred me to someone in public relations. They asked what questions I had, and I told them someone I knew had found a pen that had given them powers. And the lady said, just one moment, I'll transfer you. I was rolling my eyes, wondering how many people I would have to talk to when the lady came back on and said, Please hold for Mr. Visser. So what did he say? 
Joseph asked, leaning on his elbows extremely close to his mother's tea glass. He seemed very nice, very eager to help. He was very interested in the pen. He wanted to meet with us as soon as possible to talk about the enhancements you've had since you found it, she said. We're going to see him tomorrow after I get off work. This concludes Chapter 4. Visit SortaKindOfSuperpower.com for updates, hero illustrations, and more.